The following audio is from a sermon series entitled King Jesus, studying the life and work of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark 10, 13 to 16. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. So at Sacred City, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter through books of the Bible um, for the most part. And, And if you're joining us for the first time, you're finding us right, well towards the, the end half of, of Mark's gospel. We've been here since the beginning of January, and we're working our way through. And so we're going to focus in here on, on verses 13 through 16 of chapter 10. Um, and, we're, and we're talking about, talking about the kingdom of God and, and, and what's required to enter the kingdom of God. Now, uh, this weekend, there was a Celtic festival going on um, downtown. My wife and I went down there to kind of check it out. We're not Irish or anything, but we thought it'd be fun. Um, so we go down there, and I'm standing in line uh, at a food vendor, and, and I see this mom. She's got three boys, um, and they're just all wild up, right? They've been, they've been running around. They've been watching the sheepdogs doing their herding thing. Um, they've got cardboard swords, apparently that's something that you do if you're Scottish. You make cardboard swords. I don't know. Um, but these kids got these swords, and they're playing around with each other, just being really ornery. Um, and the oldest son, he was about 13, maybe 14 years old. I, I don't really know how to gauge that stuff very well. But he's he's older kid. Like, he should know better uh, to not do the things that he's doing. You know, he's, he's really pestering his brothers. He's swapping them in the face. And his mom, you can just tell it's been a long day. She just breaks. And she, I, she, I told you to stop acting like a child. Act your age, right? She just, it was just a moment of weakness for this mom. I don't judge her. I've had that myself. But she goes, I told you to stop acting like a child, right? And you, you've probably heard that term before, whether you're at the grocery store and you, you, there's a mom or a dad that's got a kid that's being rowdy in the cart, or, or maybe your buddies tell you stop being so childish, whatever it is. We've heard it before. And when you hear that term, it typically carries some negative connotations. It's it's definitely not meant to be a compliment when you tell someone they're acting childish. And, and what it really means, we're, we're talking like, we're expressing that there's some immaturity or, or you're being irrational or you're just not living up to what you're supposed to be. And at the root of it, if we really look at it, this saying to be like a child is actually kind of an insult, right? If you say, if you tell someone you're being like a child, it's, it's kind of intended to be an insult. But today, as we look through this passage what I hope to show you is the fact that to be like a child, at least in the way that Jesus says it, is not something that's an insult. It's something to be desired, right? It's something that we, we should seek after to, 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 to possess. And, and the reason for this is because to be like a child, this is super important, to be, to be like a child is the way that you inherit the kingdom of God, right? If you want to take part of the kingdom of God, you must become like a child. And so this is kind of the thrust of this morning. And and as we go through this passage, I want to pull out three things. So if you're a note taker, these are three headings that you can write down. First thing is this. I want to show you who the kingdom of God belongs to. 
Okay, who the kingdom of God belongs to. Two is the manner in which it is received. And three, I want to show you what the kingdom of God is like. Okay, so this is where we're going. Um, grab your Bible or your Bible app. We're Mark uh, chapter 10, verses 13, and we'll get right here. 13 says, and they, this is parents, and they were bringing children to him, that's Jesus, that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. So let's just stop right there. What we see here is our parents bringing their children to Jesus, right? Parents, this is the most important thing that you can do as a parent, is to bring your child to Jesus. Deuteronomy 6, Ephesians 5, the top priority of parents is to be a parent who leads your child to Jesus. And and when I say to lead your child to Jesus, I'm I'm not just saying like, you pray X amount of hours and do X amount of devotionals and then they'll be saved or you force their salvation on them. What I'm saying is to lead your child to Jesus is you set their feet on the path which leads to Christ, okay? And there's many, many ways that you do this. this by, by demonstration, by the way in which you parent with grace and with truth, you can do it through instruction. Um, but one of the ways that, that we um, at Sacred City really want to push parents toward is is leading your kids to Jesus through family worship. Okay, family worship. It's this idea of where you, you as the father or the mother, is, is the pastor of the home, right? You're responsible for the spiritual well-being of your child. So you sit your kids down, you spend time with them throughout the week, and you, and you teach to them God's word. You, you sing songs with them, you pray with them, you teach them how to preach, you catechize them. And so what we have to help you as parents to do that, um, this is a shameless plug for this because I, I put it together every week, um, is our, we put together a family worship guide for parents to help you put your kids on the path which leads to Jesus. And on this family worship guide, there's um, lesson recap from that last week in children's ministry. Um, there's more discussion questions. There's, there's further teaching points, your catechism, your scripture memory. There's suggestions for singing and prayer. All of those things are a resource that are available to you. And you can find those when you go pick up your kids in the cottage right there at checkout, or you can download them from the Sacred City Kids blog. That's my shameless plug for that. But seriously, what, what that is, it's really leading our kids to Jesus, putting their feet on the path which leads to Christ. This is, parents, your primary responsibility. Okay, and so parents are doing this. They're taking, in this text, they're taking their kids to Jesus, and they're met by the disciples, and the disciples have a rebuke for them. If you recall um, earlier in Mark's gospel, um, it was crowds who prevented people from getting to Jesus. It was crowds who prevented people from getting to Jesus. And one of the best examples is from Mark chapter 2, where there's a paralyzed man. And he's trying to get to Jesus when he's in this house. He's teaching. He's preaching. All kinds of people are coming to hear him. Crowd is dense. It's super thick. It's huge. And, he, and this, this paralyzed man, all he wants to do is get to Jesus to get a touch. And, and he can't do it. These crowds are blocking him. So he's got some good buddies that lead him up carry this dude up, up to the roof, cut a hole in the roof, drop him down to Jesus just so this man can get to Jesus because the crowds were such a barrier. But this time and in this passage, it's not the crowds who are a barrier to Jesus. It's not the masses or all the people that have come to hear Jesus preach. The ones who are a barrier to Jesus are his very own disciples. All right, this, is, this terrifies me. This scares me. That it's the people who are in the closest proximity to Jesus who have the capacity to set up a barrier to prevent people from actually getting to Jesus. 
Christianity as it is right now, Christianity already has enough barriers, right? There's, there's the authority of God's word. That's a big thing to grasp or, or salvation um, through Christ alone, right? That's, that's a big barrier to get past if you're an unbeliever, if you don't believe the Christian faith. So Christianity already has enough barriers as it is, but Christians should never be a barrier to get to Jesus, 2 Corinthians 5.20 tells us that, that we are Christ's ambassadors and that God is making his appeal through us, his disciples, right? So, so what that means is that we are to show people, show the world what Christ is like. And the more faithful we are to Christ, the more that we see him clearly, the better we are at representing him. So what causes us to fail at representing Christ, because we do it often, is when we get out of step with the Holy Spirit, right? This is, this is why we get out, so we get out of step with the Holy Spirit. Our flesh leads us to do the things that we want to do that are selfish, that are self-centered, that are, are all about me, and, and, and it doesn't represent what Jesus is like. This is why we confess our sins together as a church every week, because we as Christians have failed at being good representatives of Jesus, but as long as we're confessing our sin, there's always going to be an absolution, thanks be to God, in the gospel, where, where it reminds us of who Jesus was. It reminds us that Jesus was self-sacrificing, that he was forgiving, that he was, he was gracious. And so, in turn, this absolution shows us what it looks like to be imitators, to be representatives of Christ. When we fail at representing Jesus... We, we can unknowingly put up barriers. It, it prevents people from actually getting to Jesus when they see Christians who are not acting as Christians are supposed to be. I had a conversation with uh, a non-believing friend of mine um, who is he's very vocal about being opposed to Christianity. He's just not into it. Uh, and I sat down and I asked him one day, I was like, well, what is it about Christianity that makes it so hard for you to, to, to be attracted to it, to be drawn into it? He's like, well, well, it's not really Jesus. Um, you know, he, he'll tell you that he likes Jesus' teaching. He thinks he's a good guy. He sounds like he's stand-up. You know, like, Jesus is cool. He's, and I asked him, well, is it, is it the theology? Is it these big beliefs? Is it, is it that? He's like, no, it's, it's not necessarily the theology or the big beliefs that I've got to wrestle with. He's like, the thing that, that makes it hard for me to be drawn to Christianity is Christians. He. And he goes on to tell me of his experience growing up where he was exposed to a lot of churchgoers. I don't know if these people were Christians or not, but they were churchgoers. They would go to church, and they would, what they would do, they would develop the sense of, of superiority, right? Because they were, they were morally better than everybody else. They had this right to be judgmental. But, but they, didn't, they were kind of blind to their own failings because then they were also hypocritical. So the, his experience of Christians was this hypocritical, judgmental, condescending sort of person who looks at others and, you know, shakes their head. And maybe this isn't us. Maybe, maybe it's not that severe, but we all, all Christians, fail at representing Jesus. 
right? And this makes sense for others to, to see this and be kind of turned off, right? Because nobody wants to be friends with a judgmental, hypocritical, condescending person, right? Nobody wants to be friends with that person, let alone to become like that person. Because if they're thinking, if I come to Jesus, and this is the type of people that are around, that are around Jesus, this is what I'm going to become, right? So therefore, to outsiders, Christianity doesn't look appealing at all if that's their experience with Christians, and, and the reason why we fail at, at representing Christ well, at being, um, being ambassadors for Christ, is that we as Christians don't see Christ clearly, right? We don't see him for who he really is. We don't see him that he's full of grace and truth. We don't see him that he's full of mercy and righteousness, Right? And I'm, I think that this is why here in, in verse 13 where the disciples are offering a rebuke. They, they're not seeing Jesus clearly right now. Maybe they're thinking that Jesus is too busy or he's too important. Maybe he's too tired. Maybe he's just not concerned for these families. It doesn't really say why these disciples rebuke, but one thing that we do know is that in those times, society viewed children as a burden, right? They were, they were this, this um, necessary burden if you want to continue your family line. And really, as a child, you were viewed as uh, of the most insignificant and weak and helpless of people. That, that there was no regard, unless you're someone's kid, there was really no regard for you as a child. And you're probably thinking, and, and this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking that the, the disciples, what they're thinking in their heads, Jesus is probably tired. Jesus is worn out. He's been doing a lot of ministry, a lot of teaching. What they're probably thinking that if anybody's going to come up to Jesus and take some of his time, take some of his energy, it's going to be somebody who has power, somebody who's influential, somebody who can help Jesus, who can boost his ministry, right? That's the type of person that these disciples are wanting to get to Jesus, not so much children. But Jesus sees these, these kids being sent away and being rebuked by his disciples, and it tells us right here that Jesus, verse 14, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. He was indignant. Indignant, to be indignant is to show anger at what is perceived as unfair treatment. James Edwards says this in his commentary on this passage, the object of a person's indignation reveals a great deal about that person. Jesus' displeasure here reveals his compassion and defense of the helpless, vulnerable, and the powerless. Jesus becomes indignant as these children are being treated unfairly, these powerless and vulnerable kids. And as imitators of Christ, as people who are following in the steps of Christ, there are things that we as Christians should be indignant about too, especially when it comes to matters regarding children. Christians should be the leading voice speaking against abortion, against child abuse, against sex trafficking, against manipulation, against neglect. Christians should be the lead voice of this but not just speaking it out against these things, that we're actually supposed to step in to righteous action towards these things. We don't just be indignant. We don't just arbor anger, that we actually are moved into action of righteousness, right? This means that we fight abortion. 
Right? We, we write letters to those people who are representing us in office, and we urge them to kill anything that is in support of abortion. We, we, and, then, and not only that, not only do we fight against abortion, but we support those organizations that are, are helping parents step into this new season of life as parents. Right? We want to help these kids who are put on the verge of abortion come to grow up in a family that knows how to care for them and love for them. We need to support these organizations. We don't just shake our head at abuse and neglect and, and disdain. We actually need to step in as Christians and love these kids. We need to show them what it's like to be loved and cherished. And to the parent, parentless, if, if, if God calls us to adopt, if God puts the opportunity in front of us, I think as Christians, we need to seriously uh, explore the opportunities of this, to adopt and to, to bring someone into our family. And, and if it's not us who, is, who are actually doing the adoption, I think we need to support those who are. As Christians, we need to be concerned about children. We need to fight for children. Why? Why do we do this? Because Jesus did it. Jesus sees the disciples treating the kids unfairly, and Jesus steps up, and he responds in indignation. He says here, verse 14, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. Jesus is calling them into action. Kids, come to me. And when Jesus says, bring them to me, don't hinder them, what he's saying is, disciples, don't be a barrier. Stop getting in the way. Stop preventing people from getting to me. Why? Why? Why do they need to get to me? He says here, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. kingdom of God belongs to these children. This is shocking, okay? If we think about it, it's, it's the kingdom, the kingdom, the riches, the glory of the kingdom. It's for the helpless, it's for the vulnerable, and it's for powerless children. In any other arena, these traits would disqualify anyone from greatness, right? Like, I can't go and play for the New England Patriots. I'm not, I'm not good. I'm helpless and weak when it comes to football. Right? I can't do that. So I would be disqualified from any sort of greatness that they might experience as a team. But in the kingdom of God, it's these helpless, vulnerable, and needy children who receive the glory of the kingdom. And if you look at this word in here, it's not just that the, that the children get to experience the kingdom of God, like they get to enter into the kingdom of God, but the words here say, for to such, for to these children belongs the kingdom of God, that the children, like the children own they're owners, part owners, co-heirs of the kingdom of God. They don't just get to be involved in the kingdom like they're patrons, like you go to Chuck E. Cheese or something. Kids actually own it. It's like as if kids own Chuck E. Cheese and they get to live in Chuck E. Cheese forever. <laughs> That's what it's like for these kids. They own it. It's theirs. Why is this? If they're so weak, if they're so vulnerable, if they're so helpless, how is it that kids can actually receive something so great? How can they have that? It's because I gave it away. It's because they, they received it. It's a gift that they've received. It was given to them. And this is so different from the way the world operates. If you want glory in the world, be strong. 
You've got to be self-sufficient. You've got to be capable. You've got to, be, you've got to have a will to, to succeed. Right? You've got to go out and fight for it. You've got to earn it. And because of this mindset, this world has developed into, at least what we experience, is this kingdom of corporate America where, where men and women are, are skilled, they're powerful, they're influential, they're thoughtful, they have influence. These men and women have these, this stuff, and, and the more that they have of it, the more secure they become, and, and the chances are that they'll be more likely to succeed and experience the glory of success. But the kingdom of God is the opposite of this. It's not the powerful, the innovative, the accomplished who inherit the kingdom of God. It is children. The kingdom of God, listen to this, the kingdom of God is not full of people who have something to offer God, who are like assets to God's team. The kingdom of God is full of helpless children. That's the kind of people God wants to bring into himself. Why? For such belongs the kingdom of God. And in a literal sense, children possess the kingdom of God, right? This passage tells us, but as the passage continues to tell us, the kingdom of God isn't just for children, right? It's not just for children, but it's for those who receive the kingdom of God like a child. This is, if you are here and you're of the age in which you could get a driver's license, this is good news for you. Right? The kingdom of God is open to you as well. Just as children are entering in, it's available to you if you receive the kingdom of God like a child. Let's take a look at verse 15. Jesus, still talking here, says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now, in this passage, it's easy. It's very easy for us to see the tenderness of Jesus, right? He's bringing kids in. He's loving them. He's blessing them. He's hugging them. We can see his tenderness in plain sight right here. But there's also a toughness. There's a, there's a, a hard edge to the truth that Jesus is saying here. Because he says that if you want to be a child, if you want, if you want the kingdom of God to be yours, then there's only one way to get it. There's not... There's not multiple options. There's not many roads that lead to the same place. There's one way in which you get to the kingdom of God, in which you own the kingdom of God. And that is to receive it like a child. And, and notice the word receive. It's like, it's like receiving a gift. You can't earn it. You don't work for it. It's a gift. This is the only way that the kingdom of God is possessed, as if, if Christ gives it. And, and the negative side of this is true, too. That if you don't receive the kingdom of God like a child, Jesus says right here, you will not enter into it. Like the kingdom of God will not be yours to have. But there's more to it. There's more to receiving the kingdom. There's more to, to being co-heirs of the kingdom than just receiving it. Jesus says that we must do so like a child. What does that mean? What does it mean to be like a child? Jesus isn't, this isn't what Jesus is saying. He isn't commending us to imitate the behavior of children. He's not telling us to be silly and goofy and foolish and immature. He's not telling us to be simple-minded. He's not telling us to take on the characteristic of a child. What Jesus is telling us is that we need to imitate 
the way, the manner in which children receive this kingdom? How is it that children receive this kingdom? And and I want to go back to James Edwards here in his commentary because he just lays it out so clearly. And, And he says this. This is a little bit longer, so hold on tight. In this story, in this passage, children are not blessed, right? Children don't receive the kingdom for their virtues, but they receive it for what they lack. They come only as they are, small, powerless, without sophistication, as the overlooked and dispossessed of society. To receive the kingdom of God as a child is to receive it as one who has no credits, no clout, or no claims. A little child has absolutely nothing to bring. And whatever a child receives, he or she receives it by the grace on the basis of sheer neediness rather than by any merit of him or herself. You see what he's saying here? He's saying, if you want to receive the kingdom of God, you need to do so as such as a child, and a child does so in humility and in weakness. They come completely dependent. They have nothing to offer back to Jesus. They come with empty hands. There is no other way. There's no other way to gain the kingdom. And this, just, this isn't just a one-time thing where we, we become humble and, and weak one time. Like, oh, I remember that time back 20 years ago when I, I was weak that, at that one moment, and I remember receiving the kingdom, and now it's mine, and now I'm strong, right? That's not how it works. To, to actually become an heir and to lay hands to own the kingdom is we have to live in this identity as weak and needy, right? We sang today, Lord, I need you how I need you. This is the, 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 the posture of our heart if we have to have if we're going to receive the kingdom of God. We live in this. In fact, if you want to know if you're maturing as a Christian, here, here's an easy diagnostic. If you want to know how you're mature, if you're maturing as a Christian, it's not, it's not how many books you can read or, or how many different theologians you can argue. It's not on... You don't know how mature you are based upon your, your performance in serving or blessing others. It's not, in, it's not in how many people you lead to Christ. If you want to know if you're maturing as a Christian, you need to ask yourself, am I more dependent upon Jesus today than I was the day before? Right? This is what Christian maturity looks like. It's, we, don't, we don't grow more and more independent as Christians. We become more and more dependent upon Christ as Christians. This is so, so backward in comparison to the world. Once again, the world says maturity is becoming independent and self-sufficient. Go out and be yourself. Like, do your own thing. But Christian maturity says, Christian maturity says, to become more and more dependent upon Jesus means that you're growing in your faith, right? We, we, we are dependent upon Jesus for our source of righteousness, for our identity, for our comfort, for, for even the energy and the ability to love our families and our neighbors, right? We're, we're dependent upon everything. We're dependent for everything upon Jesus here. This is the only way. This is the only way to receive the kingdom of God is to be dependent, to be in humble dependence upon Jesus and the grace that he offers us. So that's the way. So just if you missed it, the kingdom of God is for children. 
and those who, who are, are like children, right? And the way that they receive the kingdom, the way that they receive the kingdom is by humble dependence upon the grace that God gives, that Jesus gives to us. But now we need to, we need to understand the beauty, like the bigness, the grandness of what it is that we're actually gaining in the kingdom of God. Like, what is the kingdom of God like? And this is something that as a preacher, just even as a normal dude, I have a hard time thinking about. Like, what is the kingdom of God like? And, and Jesus tells us things about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. Now, I don't know about you, but that doesn't speak too deeply to my heart. You know, I like mustard here and there, but whatever. So it's like, what, what, sort, of, um, what sort of a taste, experiential taste of the kingdom do we have to look forward to where the kingdom of God is multiplied, where it's even more significant, where it's even greater and better? And I think... And I didn't see this in this passage ever until this week when I was just studying here. And I think that this passage right here gives us perhaps the clearest, most experiential taste of the kingdom of God here in verse 16. So take a look at it. And, And Jesus, he took them in his arms and he blessed them, laying hands on them. What's Jesus doing here? Right? Jesus... First of all, these are kids. Families are bringing these kids. At the beginning of this passage, they're wanting a touch. They want Jesus to go, boop. And here Jesus comes, and he scoops them up in his arms. Right? Jesus comes in and offers this warm embrace. He, he scoops them up, lays his hands on them, blesses them, prays for them. Right? The kids just got far more than what they bargained for. All they wanted was a touch. Here they get a bear hug. And so this is what I'm convinced of right here. That the kingdom of God is like a bear hug from Jesus, right? Just imagine this, to, to, to picture this, where kids are coming up, and they're probably at first they're kind of timid. Like, if this is the Jesus that's been teaching all this stuff, like we even hear him say hard things, you know, they're kind of approaching Jesus and sort of very timidly, and then all of a sudden, Jesus just gushing with affections comes and scoops these kids up. Just imagine the excitement in these kids' eyes. The fact that the Son of God has scooped them up in his arms. That they're in this warm embrace. Just just imagine Jesus, the loving, kind words that he speaks over these kids. You're loved. You're cherished. You're mine. This is what Jesus is speaking. It's so, it's so incredible. So incredible to see this. It's just pure delight. This moment right here. It's one of those things that, that you take a that you want to take a mental picture of, right? So you can go back and remember what that was like. Now I think God's very gracious to us. And, and that day is coming when when we can experience that in fullness and forevermore. Like it's a never-ending bear hug. But I think God is gracious to us right here, right now, to give us a taste of the kingdom. Now, I, I had a, um, an opportunity to taste this kingdom a couple times over the last few weeks. I've, we had, my family's had a very busy time. We've been, um, I've been traveling a lot. Um, my, my son was with his grandparents for five days, so this is how it worked out. Um, I was in Oklahoma City with the church staff for three days. I got back for a day, and then Kuiper, my son, left to, to spend five days with his grandparents in Ames. He came back for a day, and then Becca and I left um, to go to Chicago for my Acts 29 assessment. 
which, by the way, thank you for praying for us. We haven't heard anything back yet, but thank you for praying for us. It was a really great experience. Um, that was a sidebar. Um, and, and then we came back, okay? So, so there was three long periods of time where I was away from my son, and each time that I came home, I got to experience the kingdom of God. Man, and I'm going to cry, to be honest, right now, because it's so powerful. It's so powerful. And as I was sitting down to read this, I was in the middle of the cigar shop and just typing away all these manly dudes around me, and I'm just like choking back the tears just thinking about this moment. But this is what I experienced when I walked through the door. I came home after three days, five days of being gone. My son is just... He, does, he doesn't actually believe it's me. Like, he, he, like I totally forgot about you. <laughs> right? Right? That's, that's kind of the expression on his face. But then, but then you see that, like, something's going on in his mind. And, and his face is going through this, like, weird... <laughs> like, he doesn't know if he's supposed to cry out of excitement or to squeal. And, and, and just in just, like, sheer joy. You know, I don't know why he's like this. I'm really not that great of a dad. But he just screams out, Daddy! Right? And, and he, he leaps into my arms. I'm coming up the stairs. I'm about five stairs from the top of the flight where he's at. And by the time I get there, he's already just free falling from my arms. <laughs> right? And, and I just remember holding him tight. Right? It was so good to be reconnected with my boy. You know, I love him so much. And I know he loves me. And so it was just such a special, special experience. Right? And I think that many of us had had similar experiences like this, whether we've been separated from our parents for a long season or a dear friend. We've been apart for many years, and we get to reconnect in just that, that moment of pure bliss, right? That is just a taste, a taste, a sample of the kingdom, right? There's so much more of that to be had, right? You re- just think of the warm fuzzies that are in you right now, just thinking about it. Like, that's the reality that we will live in forevermore in the kingdom of God. Why? Because forevermore we'll be wrapped up in the embrace of a father that loves us so much. This, this, these little snippets, these samples that we get point us to a greater, more real embrace that we receive from our heavenly father. Right? And in this embrace, we feel, feel safe. We feel loved feel cherished, right? It'll, we're free to be dependent. We're free to let go of, of our performing and our, and our striving for greatness. We're free to just be us and know that we're loved all the more, right? Now, this, this kingdom that we, we talk about, it's it's desirable. Like we, there's part of us that longs for this. And, and I think there are things that when we think about the kingdom of God that we look forward to the most, right? That where we'll be free from sickness and pain. We'll be, sin will be no more. Be a lot of joy, there'll be peace, be celebration. It'll be party after party. Just like the, this is the stuff that we kind of look forward to. But the thing that makes the kingdom of God so special, right? Something that we strive after and chase after so hard is this embrace, this feeling, feeling loved and brought in and scooped up, right? Sounds so wonderful. And we desire this more than anything else, more than anything else in this world. This is what we're chasing after. More than, more than your desire for money, for sex, for approval of man, for power. 
more than anything else in the world. This is what our heart is chasing after. And, and we're actually, until we get that, we're incomplete. We're, we're less human when we don't have that because we don't know how loved we are. We don't know how accepted and cherished we are. No, we want that. We want that so bad. I think, I think deep, deep, deep down, we all want this so, so bad. But there's something in the way. There's something that's a barrier for us to getting that, from experiencing that. Right? And this time, it's not the disciples. It's not the disciples that are saying, nope, Jesus is too busy. Keep moving. It's not the disciples. It's us. We are the ones. It's our sinful heart that prevents us from coming to the Father. Right? Our sinful heart, our sinful actions against the holy God keep us from experiencing that. What does that look like? What does it look like to, to, to resist God? What does it look like for our sinful hearts? I think just to stay in theme with this passage, to sin against God means to swat the hand of blessing away that comes with the intentions of loving us and guiding us, right? When we swat that hand of blessing away, we're sinning against God. But, but when we do that, we're missing out on the, the love that Christ has to offer us. We're missing out on our identity. And because of that, we, we assume a new identity. We take a new identity as orphans, as people who have to fight and claw for their affections, for their praise. Because of this identity, we have... Because we're orphans, we only care about me. We only care about my well-being. We can't, we're unable to care for others around us. And so that means that, that one, first of all, we don't reciprocate God's love for us. And in turn, we aren't actually able to love others as we love ourselves. So this, is, this stands in the way. And this way of living is futile. And we're burdened by this weight of rebellion we're burdened by the weight of, of missing out on God's love and acceptance. And there's a punishment for this, actually. That by sinning, that there's a punishment that comes with that. God's wrath. If it's not God's love and acceptance that we're getting, we're getting God's wrath and his anger, his neglect. By choosing to sin, we're choosing to be orphans. And by being orphans, we're placing ourselves in the neglect of God. Right? This identity puts us in a pit. We can't crawl out of ourselves. We can't fight our way out. We can't earn our way out. We can't, we can't do it by ourselves. We, we need someone to come and rewrite our identity. We need someone to adopt us and make us as children. But who, let me ask this question, who in their right mind would love a child like this? A child that, would re, that when the hand of blessing reaches out would swat it away and curse it. Who would love a child like that? God. Our Heavenly Father does. Every day, God shows us love as we swat his hand away. And he, he wanted to show us how much he cared for us, how much he loved us. And he did so by sending Jesus Christ, his, his one and only son, the true son of the Father. And Jesus, he came to earth and he came as a man. And he did so, and not once in his life did he swat that hand of blessing away. Not once did God, not once did Jesus curse God for telling him how to live. Not once did Jesus resist the affections of the Father. 
And, and, and because he lived in those affections, he was able to love people well. There wasn't one needy child that, that he passed by or didn't care for in his heart. Right? Jesus was able to love people well because he lived in the identity as a son of God. And in his ultimate act of obedience to the Father and out of love for us, Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus, for the first time in his life, on the cross, experiences the neglect of God. Jesus, at that moment, the affections, the love, the embrace of God cease because Christ has become our sin. Right? He's become an orphan for us, and he took the weight of that. He took the neglect of God. He took the wrath of God for us. And Jesus did this not only so we would no longer experience the wrath of God or the anger or the neglect, but so that we could be adopted as sons and daughters of the king, so that we would know our true identity as children of God, that by faith in Jesus Christ, we become children. Galatians three twenty six says this, for in Christ Jesus, we are children of God in faith, right? It's the faith in Christ that makes us children of God. In order to do this, we put, in order to put our faith in him truly, we have to be humbly and completely dependent upon him. We can't rely on our own doing. We can't rely on, on, on the things that I've accomplished or the way that I live my life. We can't rely on those things to earn us good standing with God. We have to rely on, on Christ. There's a, a, a line in uh, old hymn, Rock of Ages, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. That is what we must do. There's nothing that we can bring. Only to Jesus Christ do we cling. And as we do so, we find this embrace that we're looking for. As our faith in Jesus, we find this warm embrace. We, we experience the kingdom of God. In little snippets now, right, the kingdom of God is breaking through the darkness right now as we speak where we get to experience that. But one day... One day, Jesus will come again, and the kingdom of God will be completely established forevermore, where we get to live in that embrace of God, our Heavenly Father, from now until eternity. That's available to us, guys. Today, this morning, that embrace, taste of the kingdom is here. But I want to warn you, I want to caution you that if you resist the embrace, if you resist the affections of the Father, you're not going to find anything else like it. In fact, you're going to find the wrath. You're going to find the neglect of God. And so this morning, I want to urge you not, not to pursue that, that not, not to live as an orphan any longer, but to live as a child of God. And so if, if you're here for the first time, if you've never heard the gospel before, I want to invite you today to put your faith in Jesus. I want you to come and see the crucified Savior who loves you deeper than my words can express. I want you to come find yourself wrapped up in this loving embrace of the Father. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to know what it's like to live in that. And for those of you who are Christians, I have the same thing for you. I want to urge you to come to Jesus today.
I want you to come to Jesus this day and every day forevermore so that we may live in the embrace and acceptance of our Heavenly Father as he makes us co-heirs of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. This is the good news. Orphans become children through faith in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we praise you. Thank you, God, that you have made the kingdom available to us in Christ Jesus, that by faith, which is a gift that you give us, that by faith we become children. So we are no longer orphans who are, who are self-centered, fighting and clawing for ourselves, but we're loved and cherished and accepted children. And because of that love that we experience from the Father, we're able to love others well. So Father, I pray that you would establish us, that you would make us into these humble and dependent children who are dependent upon your word for guidance, your Holy Spirit for, for leading and power. God, so that we could, we could be in our city and change our city to the glory of God, that, that we would be able to experience the kingdom of God in our neighborhoods. By the way, we love one another and accept one another in the way that we express your love for us to one another. God, I pray that you would do that with your people. I pray for those hearts that are longing for the kingdom, that are longing for that embrace. Father God, I pray that you would meet their needs this morning. Would you give them faith to believe? Pray, Lord, that you would surround them in community who loves them well. I pray that, I pray that they would be discipled into disciples who don't become more um, self-sufficient or independent, but disciples who are so utterly dependent upon you. God, this is what you want for us. We thank you, God, that the call, that the call to, to dependence is much easier. It's much more uh, accessible than the call to be independent. And you call us this morning to lay down ourselves and to cling to our Christ. And this morning, as we come to the table, we do so. We take the bread and the wine, which was broken for us for our sins, and, and we drink it in, and we remember an experience, a means of grace which changes us into children of God. Father God, would you be over this meal this morning? We thank you for the way you nourish us and care for us, the way you provide for us, just as a good father does. And we pray all of this in your beautiful son's name. Amen.